Well, if you're new here today, we are in a series called Life Swap. This is um, lesson three in the series. Um, we've talked about uh, failure, failure to growth the first week. Last week, we talked about from worry to peace. And I have to tell you that last week, I had more people come up to me afterwards and throughout the week saying, you know, Pastor, that, that, that really helped free me from something that has bothered me for many, many years. It's amazing how many Christians are bound by worry. And there's so many things that go on in our lives that we've got to learn to get to a place where we allow God to deliver us from these issues. And today, the topic is one that's very significant within the church. It is letting go of anger. We want to learn to replace anger with kindness. Anger is like an acid, an acid that you drink that destroys yourself but allows you sometimes to, to throw up on the people around you and hurt them as well. Unlike some of the other feelings that we have, like worry or fear or regret that are mainly personal, anger affects the people closest to us. Anger spills out into our marriage, into our house, into the workplace. And I know because I grew up in a home that had anger. As I said at different times, my dad had a bad temper. And we never knew whenever my dad would, would have that um, switch flipped and he would blow his stack. We didn't know how short his fuse would be before he'd let out just a, a whole litany of harsh, sometimes vulgar words. Sometimes we'd see things fly across the room. Sometimes we'd see things broken. Now, my dad never hit us and never abused us in his anger, but he was out of control at times. And because he was a big man, six foot three, 240 pounds, we didn't mess with our dad. He intimidated us, and we avoided him as much as possible. Anger, uh, anger, his anger had a definite effect on our family environment. Now, I want to tell you this, too. This is interesting. My mother shared the other day that she found an old Valentine's card from my dad. My dad passed away about seven years ago. And about 20 years ago, he gave my mom a Valentine's card. And I asked her, I said, did dad actually write in the card? And she said, yeah, he did. And she read me what he wrote, and it was beautiful. It was like, I never knew this man who loved his wife so much, who adored her, who said that she meant the world to him. And it gave me even a softer heart toward my dad because my, my dad never as far as I know, surrendered his life to Christ. And when you don't have a place to take your anger, you, when you don't have help in dealing with your anger, you're left with yourself. And he didn't know how to deal with it, and it was destroying him, and it was hurting his relationships with the people around. And some of you are in the exact same place. Anger has gotten the best of you. Anger has tormented you, and you're not quite sure how to deal with it. Sometimes you know exactly why you're angry, and other times you're not sure why. You're just, you're just angry. You're just angry, and you're not sure why, because it's become such a part of your life. And we want to look to the Lord today for help, because I believe God speaks specifically to this issue. Because anger, a psychologist would tell us, is a secondary emotion. It actually comes after another feeling, and usually that feeling's hurt. Hurt because of criticism, hurt because of failed promises, hurt because of abuse, underappreciation, of being offended. All these things happen to us. And then we feel angry on top of it. And we've got to learn how to get a grip on this because anger causes us to act in ways that aren't real Christ-like. It causes us to say things that aren't God-honoring. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Instead of letting anger bring out the beast in you, what if anger actually could bring out the best in you? What if anger was an opportunity not for you to show how carnal and fleshly and worldly you are, but what if anger was actually an opportunity to shine a light on Christ, the Christ that lives in you? Because I believe that's what God wants to do. And today, today's a date, February 19th, 
2017, a date when some of you can declare, I am done with anger and bitterness and resentment. I'm done with it in a specific issue in your life. And it's going to take some work. It's going to take some heart and soul searching, but it's possible because God has written scriptures directly dealing with this issue for us. And so uh, this is one of those real practical ways that, that God is going to speak to us and call us to say yes to him. And I want to ask you, are you willing to do that? And if so, would you pray with me? Father, we are so tired of what anger does to us. We're so tired of, of, of how anger has caused us to act in ways that has actually hurt people we love. That anger has stolen joy from us. That anger has robbed us of peace. That anger has made us beasts. When actually anger should be an opportunity for us to reflect really what you've reflected to us, kindness instead of anger. So Lord, just speak to our hearts, stir within us, help us to put an end to the anger that that burns within. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I started this series two weeks ago saying in chapter four of Ephesians, Paul says that we are to put off the old nature be made new in the attitude of our minds and put on the new nature. Sort of like a wardrobe change. We're going to take off these old clothes and put on the new ones he has to offer. But, but the emphasis Paul makes is it's your duty to do that. God has given you the wardrobe. You have to put it on. And in that same chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians, he speaks specifically to the issue of anger. We find at the end of chapter 4, starting with verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. See, my anger affects my relationship with God. My anger does something to the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. Now, some of you may, may have looked at anger in the past and, and have just justified it because anger is a God-given emotion. It really is. And, and it's really a neutral emotion. It's, it's not good or bad by itself. It's what we do with anger that matters. But some of us have actually leveraged anger and said, well, it's a good thing because when I'm angry, I do my best housework. <laughs> when I'm angry, I can really lift the weights at the gym. And when I get angry, I speak clearly and directly. I communicate better than I ever communicate. <laughs> anger's a good thing for me. Or maybe you can cite organizations that were developed from anger. You know, mothers against drunk driving, mad. Or when we say, well, Pastor Jesus got angry. Anger worked good for him. You remember that time in the temple? It just, I mean, it looks like Jesus blew a gasket. He goes through the temple, and they're selling these items that people need for worship. They're making a profit off the worshipers. And Jesus comes through and starts flipping tables. He flips tables and drives them out. He says, how dare you do this in my father's house? And there was a time when when the disciples were shooing the children away from Jesus because parents were bringing them to be blessed, and Jesus became indignant to them and grabbed one of those children and said, unless you become like this child, you'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. See, there were times when Jesus became angry, but you know what I noticed about Jesus? He never got angry about how people treated him. He was angry about how people treated the children, how people treated the sinners, how people treated his heavenly father. I'm not like Jesus because I get mad when people treat me wrongly. And I wouldn't say that my response is always Christ-like. There are times when I get mad when, uh, when I speak harshly. 
There's times when I'm angry that I want to let out some real big curse words. Man, some of you can get away with that. I don't get to do that. <laughs> there's, there's sometimes when I'm mad, I want to punch somebody. I want to ram my car in the back end of their car. Be honest with you. Man, the other day. Okay. We won't talk about that. Actually, I'm going to talk about that a little later. When I was in Bible college, remember, Bible college, we had an intramural basketball league, and the, play, the teams were made up of students who, who weren't on the basketball team, and one of the teams was made up of the faculty. And you know what? When the faculty played, all the students wanted to see them get beat. And so the faculty always had this chip on their shoulder, and one of the, 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 the guys in the faculty is a pretty good athlete. I mean, he would get very frustrated in the game, so much so that, that several times he actually walked to the locker room in the middle of the game, showered, dressed, and left because he couldn't handle what was happening inside of him. He was getting so mad. One time, the missions professor actually took a swing at a friend of mine. Miss! But I thought, these are the Christian professors of the Bible college losing their cool on the court. And athletes know, if you rattle the opponent, you know, they do this in football all the time. Try to tick off their opponent. Now, you may think, don't poke the bear. The bear's going to crush you. No, poke the bear because then the bear can't think straight. Guy gets all worked up with emotion, so angry, makes irrational decisions. See, actually, something happens in the brain, brain, I learned the other day, way in the back of the brain. When those emotions take over, you can't think up here. You can't think straight. And that's why you want people in charge who are poised, who have control of their emotions. But here's how it affects my relationship with God. When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you to bear fruit that reflects Jesus. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Things that are contrary to our typical responses to anger. And when we respond with harshness, rudeness, Um, unkindness. We're out of control. It does not reflect the nature that's within us. It reflects us, not Jesus. And so that it it grieves the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make the Holy Spirit mad at us. You'd think that God gets mad when we're mad. It's not. It's the grief that a lover feels when their spouse has been unfaithful. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. He says, I've come to make my home in you. I've come to change you, to keep you from going down the paths that have frustrated you and upset you and ruined your life. I'm going to take you down a new path. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we say, "Um, Holy Spirit, check out for a little bit because my old nature wants to take charge right now. We're unfaithful to the one who lives within us. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. It wounds the heart of God when anger gets the best of us. It affects my relationship with God. Now, I, I've got to pause right here and just, just speak to those of you who are kind of checking church out. You've never actually committed your life to Jesus Christ, never surrendered to him. I just want to tell you, you're going to have a hard time dealing with the things I'm going to talk about because you don't have the resources. If you do not have Jesus in your life, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you to give you what you don't have. All you have is your own strength of will, which is limited. And so God, God, God's not mad at you because of your sin. He's gracious and forgiving toward you. And I hope that you become aware of that, of what kind of God he is, how he's willing to forgive you, that you'd surrender your life to him, allow him to come live within you and begin to transform your life. 
Now, Paul, uh, in the same chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians, if you go back a few verses, in verses 26 and 27, he says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he says, in your anger, don't sin, meaning that you can be angry and not sin, but it's hard. It's hard. Because you've got to be real mature to deal with anger. Anger is, is like a flame. A flame that is harnessed and controlled can, do, can be very beautiful. It can warm your fire, you know, can, it can radiate through your fireplace and warm the house. It can cook a meal. I mean, it can do a lot of beautiful things. But a flame in the hands of an immature, foolish person is destructive. Now, here's the problem. Very few of us are mature enough to deal well with anger. It becomes a flame that, that, this, that, that begins to go out of control. And that's why he says, particularly thinking of, of in marriage situation, hey, don't, don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go to Get this thing out of your system. Get rid of it now. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. The devil will get a foothold. By you holding on to anger, you are kind of like opening this door into your heart, into your mind, saying, Satan... You have access right now. Now, when, when someone has a foothold, a foothold is defined as this, a secure position from which further progress may be made. You want to give Satan that secure position in you? Because your anger invites it. And it's almost like once Satan gets, it's like when you're climbing, you got your foot on a rock, and so that's rock's real solid. I can now take the next step. Satan gets a foot in there, and, he, and he's just so eager for you, to, for, the, for you to open up the next door to get further in, and then further in. And pretty soon, he starts to destroy your whole household, and you wonder, what happened? And, and God says, Look, you open the door to the devil. I told you to close it. You open it up. That's why in James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, James writes about anger in the first chapter of, of his letter, and he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger, human anger, not the righteous, just kind of anger that Jesus had, but our kind of anger that we typically have is dangerous, destructive, and it affects my relationship with God. So, so Paul says, and I want to go back to that, that verse there, Ephesians chapter 4, as he describes the, the anger family. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says that anger can surface in a number of different ways. Anger can surface within us in, in a lot of ways. Now, anger starts usually from this feeling that somebody owes us something. Somebody didn't do what I thought they should do. Someone didn't give me what I felt I deserved. Whether it's perceived or whether it's true, I deserved respect. I deserved appreciation. I deserved a promotion. I deserved acknowledgement, and I didn't get it. I, I deserved something, and I didn't get it. And so I'm hurt, and the hurt has grown into anger. It's a debt. A debt. You know, if you, if you were abused, say, say you're, as a child, a relative physically abused you. They stole something that was yours, your innocence, your security. And see, it hurts us when someone takes something from us that we believe is rightfully ours. And it's like, they owe me. They owe me. They took something from me. It's not fair. It's not right. And so it's, there's this debt. In fact, Jesus told the whole parable about forgiveness and the whole 
the whole scenario was that there was a man who owed a large debt and a man who owned a small debt. It's all about debts. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Debtors are people that owe us. And so, so we have people that owe us, and, and because they owe us, it stirs feelings within us. And one of those feelings is very visible, very noticeable. He defines it as rage. Rage. Rage is like anger out of control. Anger that's just, 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 just blazing fire of anger. And we see it all around us. We see it more today. I think we live in this age of rage as I mentioned, I was driving the other day and had this feeling build up in me because there was this guy in this big old pickup truck just hugging my bumper. And he was in a hurry to get somewhere, and it's on a city street, and there's a car on the right of me, and I'm in this lane, I'm going the speed limit, and he wants me to get out of his way. But really, I have no place to go. And so I just continue to go, and I'm not going to speed up and race just to, just to make him happy. So, so he keeps getting really close. You know, I'm tempted to slam the brakes on. <laughs> um, but I continue on, and I've got my grandson in the, in the back seat, so I'm not going to mess around with this guy. But as soon as a car behind me or on the right side pulls further ahead, he, he juts out around and then immediately cuts in front, almost cutting me off where I had to slam on the brake to avoid getting hit. And you know what? That's the second time that's happened in the last 30 days. One was a big black pickup truck. One was in a big white pickup truck. Both men who are just out of control. We call that road rage. It's pretty common today. People get behind the wheel, but it's not just on the road. It's on the streets. We've got people who are marching streets today in protest of things that are happening politically, and they're taking their anger out by smashing windows, burning buildings, and beating up people. And that's solving all of our problems. You know, it's... I see it happen on Facebook where people rant and rave on Facebook and friendships come to a sharp end because of people's strong views. And instead of learning how to talk uh, respectfully about things we disagree, we rage and we vent and and we get all amped up over it. And you know what? I I love the fact that if you don't like things politically, and you know what? At least 25% of the population really doesn't like things every four years. Really. Probably about 25, you know, the rest of it kind of tolerated, but there's about 25% that I just really hate, hate the way the election went. Wait four years. Get another chance. Speak your mind. We have a thing called the ballot, and the ballot is stronger than the bullet, and that's why we vote. We have an opportunity. But the problem is rage is, is many people's response to anger. There, there's another response that is more Christian. I mean, we, we of course, we don't, want to, we don't want to blow our stack in the foyer of the church. That wouldn't look godly. We, we let it go inside in bitterness. We let it stew and steam and seethe and grow these tentacles of roots underground where people can't see. And on the surface, we look real peaceful. But underneath, there is this, this strong bitterness toward people that we feel owed us and have hurt us. And so it eats away at us. Bitter is like a cancer. A psychology today blogger named Stephen Diamond says, bitterness is a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment and one of the most destructive and toxic of human emotions. You know, bitterness can actually affect you physically. Headaches, depression, ulcers, back pain, you know, uh, weakened immune, immune system, all kinds of things. And when you get bitter... 
You typically distance yourself from that person that's hurt you. You don't want to be around them. You never talk kindly of them. And you refuse to be in any position where they could hurt you again. But it always stays with you. It's always on slow burn in your life. I've seen bitterness described like this. It's the poison you drink hoping the other person dies. Bitterness is the poison you drink hoping the other person dies. Because while the other person has moved on and the other person may not even realize what they've done to you, may not be affected by what they've done to you, whatever they did that you felt hurt you now continues to hurt you. Not because they keep inflicting it on you, but because you won't let it go. So every day there's a little bit of pain. And I don't know, in some sick way we feel that justifies it. That's my payment for what they did is I will punish myself. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? I'm going to punish myself for the hurt they caused. That is just ridiculous. We need to get over that. We need to look at it very differently. He goes on to say there's other cousins of anger. There's brawling, you know, fighting, fist fighting, things, slander. But just to cover all the bases, he says, and every other form of malice. See, anger can turn us into beasts. Jesus spoke about anger like this. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He likens anger to murder. See, we may not be guilty of actually killing someone, but we kill him with our look. We kill him with our words. We kill him with our attitude. And we think it's okay. We, we think it's, it's acceptable because in the culture it is. But God says it's not acceptable. You shouldn't be angry with your brother. James says kind of the same thing in, in the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You desire, but you do not have. I want that. That's owed me. I deserve that. Someone took that from me. That's mine, and I don't get it, so I'm mad. Now, I don't think he's telling, saying that people went around murdering, physically murdering one another. But he's saying you have taken a position of killing that relationship. You don't get what you want, and so you've taken a posture of murder. It's interesting that in the real world, most mass killings, most psychological serial killings, most murders arise from anger. Someone not getting what they feel they, they deserve. I was, I was watching a video the other day. It happened about two years ago that a man worked for a construction company and he was angry with his boss. And I don't know the issue. Maybe he didn't get a promotion or a raise he thought he deserved, but he took this huge excavator and they actually drove over his boss's sporty Mercedes-Benz, crushing it like a tin can. Now, do you know what? I'll bet he felt pretty good after he did that. But you know what? The boss still got a new car out of it. And now that man owes his boss. I don't know. He may have even gone to jail over that thing. Sometimes the expression, explosion of anger feels good for the moment, but doesn't solve it. doesn't resolve the issue. It continues to linger with us. I had a friend who calls these anger fantasies. I would really like to get revenge if I could do it and not get caught. 
I really would like to do that. So what is your method of dealing with anger? When you get ticked off, when your switch is flipped, what do you do? What does your family see? What do your friends see? Is it, is it, is it hostile words? Is it, is it an explosion that's visible? Do you throw things? Do you yell and scream? Or do you just keep quiet and let it seethe? And you let it out in subtle but, but very clear ways. There's a way to deal with it that Jesus is going to address. Ephesians chapter 4, in the passage I read, it closes with this verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Replace anger with kindness through forgiveness. Overcome anger through forgiveness. Now, that's easier said than done. And you may say, well, pastor, you have no idea what I've been through. That's true. I don't. I don't know. And some of us will struggle with forgiveness for a number of reasons. One is because you may say, I just don't have it in me. I have no desire to forgive. I don't even know where it can come from because I, have, I don't know where to start to forgive another person. The hurt is so deep, the pain is so raw, I can't do it. And that's okay, acknowledging you can't do it because we can't. To, to forgive is divine. To forgive is supernatural. To forgive is to rely not on your power, but God's grace in you. So when you say, I can't do it, that's okay. I can't either. But there is someone who lives in me that can. His name is Jesus. Another reason that we really struggle with forgiveness, probably the biggest reason is it doesn't seem fair. If I forgive them, that means they're getting away with it. That that means I'm letting them off the hook. And I'm not going to let them get off the hook. So I'm going to hold on to this issue until they apologize or, or they make it right. What if they never do? What if, what if they never feel they're wrong? What if they never come to you and apologize? How long are you going to wait? What if, what if they die, never having reconciled with you? Then what do you do? See, here's what you and I have to realize. This is so critical. Forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. It's not about them being freed from the wrong they did. It's about you being freed from the bitterness. And so you have to do it, not because of them, but because of Jesus. See, I don't understand what you've been through, and some of you have been through some horrible things. We've had people in our church that have been through things that are unbelievable, unbelievable, abuse, killings, unfaithfulness, all kinds of stuff. I, I, I know there's incredible pain out here. I don't understand your situation. I don't understand the depth of your hurt. But you need to know this. I'm not the one telling you that forgiveness is the answer. The one who knows you best is the one telling you to forgive. That's what the Lord is saying because he knows what's best for us. He knows that we have to forgive to get past this. We have no power over the other person. The only person you have power over is who? You, self. And you could take the initiative to say, regardless of how they respond, I will forgive because Paul says this, We forgive not because they deserve it, but we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. God has forgiven us in Christ. And you know when Jesus made forgiveness possible? It was long before you ever turned to him. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, I'm already positioned to forgive them. I am am being nailed to this cross for everything they've done to me. And you know what? When you put your eyes on the cross, the grace starts to fill you. See, see, so many of us have our eyes fixed on the person that hurt us. 
when we should be fixing our eyes on the person that has forgiven us. Why, Why focus so much attention on what has happened to us when something so great has happened for us? The, the cross has forgiven you. Your debt, your debt has been forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? God loves you. But you know what else? The Bible says he loves the whole world. And that person that offended you, that person that hurt you, God loves him too. God loves her too. And God has made it possible for them to be forgiven if they would turn to him. And so it just makes sense. If God's position toward them is one of grace and God lives in me, then my position toward them should be one of grace. Psalm 103 describes God's view of us. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he um, harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. So how do we do that? Just real practical. How do I deal then with the anger that I'm feeling? Just... Just five quick steps. Number one, identify who it is that owes you. Who is it that hurt you? That's pretty obvious. The person that you're mad at, that's the person. Now, sometimes there are situations we're just frustrated with. I get frustrated with traffic. I don't have to ask traffic to forgive me. I mean, I get over it. I move on. It doesn't linger, okay? I get over that. It doesn't linger. The the kind of anger and bitterness that lingers is directed toward a person, a person that has hurt me, a person that has taken something from me. Who is it? And then what do I feel they owe me? They owed me protection when they gave me abuse. They owed me honesty when they lied to me. They, they owed me honor when they, when they discredited me. They owed me an opportunity because I was faithful to them and they took it from me. Some of you are resentful toward your parents. Some are resentful toward your kids because you felt you owed, they owed you something. They owed you respect. They owed you honor because of what you've done for them and you didn't get it. Identify who it is, what they owe you, and then see them through the cross. See them through the cross. Look at what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for them and then link with that. Say, God, I want to have that. I want to be like that toward them because that's how you see them. I want to forgive them just as you've forgiven me and then cancel the debt. Actually make a declaration right now. Lord, I release my uncle to you who abused me when I was six and seven years old. And Lord, it hurt me. He stole my innocence from me. But I am releasing it to you today. I'm not going to be bitter anymore about this. I'm going to give it over to you. You have grace toward him. I'm going to have grace toward him. I'm going to let it go. I'm done. It's over. I'm moving on. Through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, amen. Whatever it is, declare it over. Now, the last step is to remember it no more. Because what what will happen is the enemy will bring up, hey, you're not over, it's still there, it still hurts. It will. And and the hurts may still go on for a while. But don't, don't misunderstand this. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Feelings will change over time. The burden will get lighter, and over time, you'll be able to move past it. But immediately, you might still feel it. And what you need to declare is this. Satan, I close that. 
It's, it, that case is closed. It's over. Because here's what God does for us. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now think about this. God knows everything. Can God really ever forget? See, what God has chosen to do is I'm not going to bring it up ever again. It's there. Yeah, who can forget that? It's there. But the pain of it is gone. It's, it's over. It's dealt with. It's been addressed already. And that's what you need to say. It's already closed. Some of you have been carrying around a hurt, a pain, anger that just stews within. Some of you have anger issues with people in your lives that continues to, to not only ruin your life, but ruin the relationships around you. Why continue with that? When God says, you can be free. Because here's what happens. When you give forgiveness, the prisoner gets set free, and that prisoner is you.